uh, those who are participating and receiving that, you can go ahead and, and do that. Remember, if you have any prayer requests, this is the time to <clears throat> slide that in. Well, we just kicked off a series that we're going to spend the rest of the summer kind of looking at this together. And we simply called it Forerunners. And because we're looking back through the lens of the cross and the resurrection of Christ and our covenant with him. And we're looking back at those who had gone before us and had lived these lives of faith. That they pursued knowing God and trusting him where they were. And this was a really big deal. And and we're really keying off of one core scriptures that we can get this concept down in our hearts. If you got your U version app open or you got your your <clears throat> your bulletin, just go ahead and let's start the notes right now. It says the <clears throat> the thought, I mean the faith of those who have gone before us shows us what it means to know God better and to trust him more. In Hebrews <clears throat> 12:1. I love that that Christmas I'm I've been working on that thing all weekend and this is the same theme scripture for the chrysalis, it was so neat that I go in and see it plastered right there. Like, this is the series we're doing. This is so awesome. Um, Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. God has an assignment for you. God has an assignment for us as a, as, a, as a collective body. God has an assignment for the universal body of Christ. Every believer everywhere on, in every nation. He has, an, he has an assignment. And we need to, to be able to fully fulfill the fullness of it. We each individually have to fulfill our individual part. Just like your lung cells need to do their lung cell thing. And your heart cells need to do their heart cell thing. And your brain cells hopefully are doing their brain cell thing. And so uh, um, we, we need each one of them so that the, the whole can do what it's supposed to do. And we each need to run our race. And there are things that will come in and get in the way. They become obstacles, hurdles, things that want to trip us up. And, and the scriptures clearly tell us that these things that are not life-giving, they will tear us away. And that's simply referred to as sin. Prior to saying yes to Christ, sin killed us. Sin brought with it death. Jesus delivered us from the law of sin and death. He delivered us. You and I, have, who are placed our faith in Christ, we are living eternal life right now. One day we get to shed this mortal body and not have to deal with this flesh stuff anymore. And we live it in the presence of God in its fullness. But we stepped over from death into life. And it is an amazing, beautiful thing. But those old habits... All of the stuff, our thinking that's incorrect and doesn't line up with what God says is life-giving. No matter how much we, our own selves, can rationalize it. No matter how much our, our culture says that certain things that the Bible says are wrong or okay. It doesn't matter any of those things. God wired us. He built us. He knows what, what's life-giving and he knows what is destructive and part of living a life of faith is recognizing that and deferring to him. See, faith is trust. And you never get into a place of trust until there's tension. There's never a place of trust until there's tension. As you walked up and picked your, your little seat, the movie theater, as you walked up and you found that little, you found that little spot, 
then there was this place where you believed that the seat was going to hold you up. But as you were standing there, there was no trust being put in that seat. You weren't full of doubts. You weren't checking the bolts. You weren't giving it the old little thing and little tapping it on there. and You weren't doing that. There wasn't a bunch of doubts. But you had not trusted it yet until you're doing what you're doing now. You're sitting in it. And I see no one doing this number with armrests. Kind of holding themselves up, not letting their little tushy fully be waiting. No, everybody's good and relaxed. Some of you look a little too relaxed. Wake up. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, really, Dallas, wake up. And so, <laughs> I'm kidding. And uh, anyways, the, uh, but um, that, that's when it really kicks in. It's when there is this place, there is this tinge where you let go and you let that thing you're trusting hold the weight. And you're not trying to do it on your own anymore. Part of this growing in Christ is there's this place where we will find natural agreement with God's word. And then there'll be places where we find that we disagree. And as we learn that God loves us and he is for us and his ways are better than our ways, then we go, you know what, God, I can build a whole case for why I think this thing is right and okay and wonderful. But you say it's not. And I'm going to defer to what you say, no matter how many. That's where faith comes in. That's where we trust. And as we do that, we begin to see the fruits of that. And we see it lived out. And so, <clears throat> I know it's, right now is on the bulk of people's minds right now. As, you know, okay, we, we just recently had this, this thing come down that affects our entire nation. Where, where marriage which as believers, we, we embrace as we look back into Genesis that God saying it's not good for man to be alone and creating a woman, a helper suitable, suitable for, for Adam. And he created an Eve and he presented her to him. And we have that first union that God brought that first bride to that first groom. And we see that and, and, and we hold that sacred and holy and that that biblical picture and we see that and we see it all the way through the scriptures we don't see anything other than that model through the scriptures and we hold that as as our place and we stand that on the scriptures and our in our biblical as christ followers our biblical model is to say that is what the biblical picture of marriage is we live in a nation that has a government and decides what it's going to recognize and what it's not going to recognize. And that government is a government of the people. And when the people choose, the th- things go that direction. And choices have been made and people have aligned on certain sides of certain things. But as Christ followers, we were never said that we will only do the things or honor the things that a government or any other institution ratifies and says, yes, it's okay that in what you call holy and wonderful and true. And so in today, then it doesn't change anything for us. It doesn't change anything for us. Our, our worldview was never based on anything other than what we believe to be holy and true and written. Now, at the same time, because we hold to that and we look to that and we say that that's what the life-giving definition of marriage is as a Christ follower, what we also have to remember that as Christ followers, then our role is also to love. That is our role. We're to be a light in the world. 
sin is sin. It's everywhere and it fleshes itself out in lots of different forms. It just does. It just does. Jesus Christ ate with sinners. It doesn't say what those sins were. Who knows what they were? Guess what? This issue of homosexuality is not an issue of our day. As Paul made his writings and was a citizen of Rome and used his citizenship to his advantage, then same-sex marriage was a common thing, an allowable thing inside of the Roman Empire. We don't see anything Paul freaking out. He just preached who Christ was, freedom in Christ, that who he was, and he carried his message, and he went forward, and he was a light in the place that he lived. And as Christ followers, that is our number one goal. And we cannot dare allow anything to pull us off topic from the fact that it is Jesus Christ who came to set every person wound up in something that was not life-giving to set them free. Whether it's something that you struggle with and you think is rational or somebody struggles with and you don't think is rational. Either way, y'all will look at each other and not understand each other, but in Christ, Christ loves us all. He bled for us all. While we were all yet sinners, Christ died for us. There wasn't a single one of us that he said, yeah, that's the pick of the litter. That's the one I did. He's awesome. He don't need me, but I'm going to do it. No, we all needed it. And we don't dare, dare, dare leave that topic of who we are in our core assignment. We don't. We don't. So what do we do? We do what we've always done for centuries and millennia. We love We love God and we love others. We hold to the truth. We hold to this document that's been attacked. We hold to these these scriptures that have been attacked for millennia and are still here and we're still reading them and we're still living our lives by them. They've they've survived a long, long time and we just keep loving. And you know what? We have a promise that love wins. Not our intensity, not our how loud we can shout, not getting zealous over one political thing or another political thing. Love is what wins. And as soon as we step off of that, we step onto a place where we're going to lose. But we step back onto love, and love wins every time. So at Celebration Church, we honor the Bible. Bible is our standard. We love Bible. We love people. And we will love every person God brings and kind of believe that God will meet them right there. And he loves them so much he doesn't leave them there. And life change happens for everybody. There we go. So, we look back to the story, and today we're looking at Noah. And uh, it's one of those things, Noah is this story that most of us know on one level or another, especially in our modern culture, because we just had, you know, the ultra-biblical perfect example movie, Noah, come out recently, you know, that just, just like, went right by the Bible. It's amazing. And um, it's amazing. I, I, I know you hear my sarcasm. So, uh, um, but it, it's been on people's minds, this concept of God's, communicating to this man and this, this, this flood coming upon the, the, the earth and the entire earth and this man taking on this mission to, to build this ark. And somehow, somehow we have decided to water this down and um, we put it on our nursery walls and we take the mass execution of the bulk of the planet and we put that on our little kids' walls. You know, we take the little scene with, 
with the with the the original rainbow uh, promise that God would not destroy the water the earth like that ever again. It's, a, it's, it's it's our covenant promise, and that and we put that little over that little that little <clears throat> floating place. And we say, ooh, isn't that sweet? It's got animals and we got koalas and all that. And I guarantee you it was stunk. There was nothing sweet about it. Uh, and, um, and so and we tend to, to kind of sweeten up some of these things as we look back. And in Noah's day, um, <clears throat> Noah was a man who dared to have a relationship with God. The reason that that flood came is because the rest of the generation, the rest of the people on the planet, things had progressed to the place that their hearts were wicked all the time. They only pursued wickedness all the time. Okay? Uh, folk, we're not there yet. Okay? We're not there yet. Okay, let's, let's slow our roll, people. And um, not us, I hope. And... Um, and so, uh, but we're not there. But there, there was just, there was no virtue, no incline to virtue, no deciding to seek out any kind of virtuous anything where then you would be able to discover who God is and what he is. Because I tell you what, you just begin to look towards his nature and he will reveal himself. You just begin to look for genuine goodness, not even calling it God. And you have a heart to know the truth and he will reveal himself. And for some reason, as this group of people, they just cut it off. Their hearts were towards wickedness all the time. And God was at a place that he was going to be in, begin to, to start over. And he had a man, one man, okay? One man who was willing to have a regular relationship with him. Already to the point, remember, it's about knowing God better and trusting him more. I've been pursuing God a long time, but right now I'm just telling you, if he was to tap me on the shoulder and say, I need you to take a multi-decade project on to build an ark in the middle of Angelo, I'm like, uh, <laughs> hmm, yeah, I'm going to need a lot of confirmations. There's not a, enough wool in the wool capital of Texas to get enough fleeces on the ground to be able to do this. And I'm telling you, it's just, uh, um, it, it would just be a difficult time. And he had a life-giving relationship with God, okay? He was the, he was the righteous guy who, was, who God spoke to to be able to preserve humanity and basically be, begin to, to, to start over with. Now, we're going to fast forward, and I want to give you a little picture of this righteous guy, all right? Now, we tend, to, again, to sterilize things. We tend to make things pretty, but the Bible doesn't do that. It gives us the rawness of it, and we tend to gloss over it. And we get through him saying yes, him building the ark, him taking his family inside this. They spend all of this time in the ark. Finally, it's sets down, the waters recede, they come out, and they begin to start, and he builds a vineyard, plants a vineyard, plants a vineyard, harvests the grapes, harvests the grapes and makes some wine, makes the wine and lets it get really good, gets the wine and fills his glass, then he fills his glass again, then he fills his glass again, then he loses count, then he gets drunk. Then he gets naked. Then he passes out. Read it. 
That's what he does. Plants a vineyard, makes some wine. Then on that wine, gets good naked drunk. And it's just there in his tent. Has his, has his three boys. One of them comes in, finds, passed out, naked dad. Most of us would say it's time to call CPS. Kids seeing drunken naked dad. There's something wrong here. Okay? Okay, that's the righteous guy. Okay? This is the post-flood guy. This is the guy that had the relationship with God and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes we can sterilize things and we can have this little sweet little precious moments view of all of this stuff. And the the core dynamic of Noah is that Noah didn't necessarily have all his stuff together. He wasn't necessarily this guy that he was walking around uh, every day and that we would see his halo glow and go, wow, there's a guy God could use. He would be a guy like you and I. He would be a guy, but he dared to have a relationship with God. He dared to bend his ear towards God. He dared to believe that God's opinion mattered in his life and that God knew things that he didn't know. We're going to look at Noah's story real quickly for when you wonder if your life really counts. Because the truth is, is one person can make a difference. One person can. We're going to look at Genesis 6. It says, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that their every inclination of their thoughts of their hearts was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I'll wipe out mankind with whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures and move along the ground and the birds of the air for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Here was one that simply bent his ear towards God, his heart towards God. And that God says, that is enough to work with. I have found, you have found favor with you. And if you'll just listen to me and have a relationship with me, that's what I want to preserve on the planet. I created humanity to be in relationship with me. That's what I created. I created it for relationship. You were built for relationship. That is what you were built for. You weren't built to be able to prove that all of the Ten Commandments can be executed perfectly all the time. That wasn't what he built you for. He didn't build you for all of these little things, to be these little puppets that he controls. He built you to have a life-giving relationship. He built you to communicate to you and for you to recognize and to be able to think on your own and choose to follow him even though your rational mind doesn't always connect. We do that with each other. We do that with each other all the time. Husband and wife have to defer to each other all the time. Best friends have to defer to each other all the time. Any long-lasting relationship has to defer to each other all the time. God just wanted a relationship, and Noah dared to give it to him, and he found favor. So we're going to look at some places you can make a difference. You can make a difference for your family. It says, then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have, found, <clears throat> I have found you righteous in this generation. I found you <clears throat> to be righteous in this generation. It wasn't, I found you to have the best, most pristine family ever. 
you have the sweetest little family model I've ever seen. I've watched everybody and look at you and all your kids. It's amazing. It makes my eternal heart go. He says, no, you found favor with me. I found you righteous. He didn't say anything about Noah's wife. He didn't say anything about Noah's boys or their wives. But he knew that Noah loved and cared for those. And his relationship with God spilled over and made a difference in his family. Your relationship with God can make a difference in your family. I have seen it with, with you. We could begin and I could just begin to put you on the spot and I won't do it. And say, tell me the story of how you began to trust God. And tell me how it made a difference in your family. And you could stand up and I could, you could, there would be person after person after person who could say, well, we just dared to do this. And, and God prompted it on our heart to do this and reach out to this individual and I didn't want to do it. And, and man, and all of a sudden it spilled over and there's entire families being blessed. Acts 16.31 says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. This word household isn't necessarily blood family. It's this Greek word oikos which means sphere of influence. And when we were studying this concept, just real quick, that, that most people's sphere of influence is 12 to 17 people. So as you begin to have genuine life-giving, life-transformation influence, it's not necessarily on everybody you know and that, that you, all your Facebook friends, unless you're one of the weird people that have 12 to 17 Facebook friends. And so and, uh, most of us have lots of them. And um, the, uh, but that comes from the fact of they, they look at it and go that you have genuine impact on anyone you spend a cumulative amount of one hour a week with of some sort of meaningful conversation, okay? You could break that down into so many minutes a day. You meet intensely with one person for an hour. I've got a lot of guys that I mentor and I spend an hour with them, <clears throat> try to spend an hour a week with them. Praise God, they're in my sphere of influence. We begin to do that. Just on a side note, didn't want to bring this up on Father's Day. It's going to be kind of a downer. Um, but most that the average dad in America spends an average of seven minutes a day conversing with their children. Let's do the math. Seven times seven is 49. Most dads' kids aren't even in their sphere of influence. Aren't even in their oikos. Because we just get busy and we let it slow it slip. But we all have an oikos. We all have a sphere of influence. And there are these people that tend to get our time over and over and over again. And your relationship with God begins to spill. And guess what? This, is, this was lived out. This was lived out over and over and over again that you and your oikos will be saved because you know what? Thousands of miles later, thousands of years later, here are you and I. And guess what? I came to Christ because of a man who was a leader in an organization that I was a part of as a boy and I spent at least an hour a week with that guy and some camp outs and what. All those different things. And then Royal Rangers, and one of my Royal Ranger leaders, led me to Christ as I sat around a campfire. It wasn't in a service like this. It was just a conversation. 
that was I was in his oikos and I came. My parents influenced me. I was in their oikos. They had seeded the ground. They had put that in there over and over and over again. I'm an outcrop and an outgrowth of my parents' oikos. My dad spent a lot more than seven minutes a day with us. You were impacted by somebody's oikos who was impacted by somebody's oikos. This is the way God works, and he does it over and over and over again. The reason you're sitting here listening to me right now, sadly, you, not, you might not be in my oikos. Even if you receive it as if I'm your best buddy and you hear me speak for 30 minutes a week, it's 30 minutes. It's not an hour. But you know what? You know who invited you, who you're sitting next to? people you want to, the faces you want to see when you walk through those doors, that's in your oikos. It's making a difference. You can make a difference in your generation. Acts 13, 36 says, for when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He died. He, he, when he <clears throat> had served God's purpose that he had put him here, then he went as a, as a minister, I've had the privilege of getting to be able to be with people on their last days on this planet. And I tell you what, it really can be one of the most sweetest moments ever experienced. When someone is joyfully looking forward to stepping over and, and being in heaven, and their heart is at peace, that all of the important stuff has been done, oh my gosh, being able to be there and then just sit there and there's not full regret and it's not these tears of, oh, I wish I'd have had a little more time, but their heart is full and they had fulfilled their purpose in their generation and they so sweetly step over. Oh my gosh, it is an amazing thing. It is an amazing thing. You can fulfill and make a difference in your generation in who you're dealing with day in and day out. You can also make a difference for God. Ezekiel twenty two thirty. it's not in your notes, but... <clears throat> says, I looked for a man among them who would, <clears throat> who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. God looked for someone. Looked for someone who would dare to represent him. He's like, I, know, I want somebody. I want somebody to do this. We see Paul. Paul has this Damascus Road experience and this blinding light and he gets told this. Let's look at Acts 26. It says, About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. The Lord replied, Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul had an assignment for God. 
Did it impact his oikos? Yes. Did it impact his generation? Yes. But he was making an impact for God. God was tapping his shoulder directly. And I guarantee you God is tapping your shoulder. There are places he's asking you to stand in the gap and to pray for people. Maybe he's asking you to stand in the gap and just pray for our nation. Maybe he's asking you to pray for a coworker or, or a family member. Maybe he's daring you to have a conversation. Maybe he's daring you to send a text and say, hey, thinking about you, love you. Maybe he's he's asking you to write a letter. Maybe he's asking you to meet a need and and be benevolent and help somebody out. I don't know what it may be, but I guarantee you, I guarantee you he's asking us all to represent him and to stand in the gap somewhere, some way. As we close, I want us to quickly look at Noah's words of encouragement. We talked about this great cloud of witnesses and it's like, we're, it's like there's this big arena and there's all of these who are, who are cheering and yelling us on and Noah is one of those and Noah's able to, to kind of break through and he jumps over the security guards and he comes out and we're right there on the track and Noah's going to tell us something directly. He's in that crowd, that den. Yes, 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 you can do it. We just hear the cheers. But Noah kind of skips through. And in this moment, Noah is speaking into our ears. And he's telling us this. He says, don't be afraid to stand out in the crowd. He looked like a fool. Every day he swung that hammer. Every day he built a boat where no boat needed to be. It had never rained as we know rain. What he was doing made no sense at all. Until everything came down. Proverbs 29, 25 says, Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Next thing he would tell us, I believe, is don't be afraid to do something for the first time. So many of us want to see the model. So many of us want to say, hey, you know, man, God, I, this is on my heart. I just, I just want to see somebody having done it before. had a really good friend of mine who spent years in Morocco. Morocco is a little more westernized, westernized of the Islamic nations, and his job was to drink coffee and talk to people as a missionary, which it was still, there was still penalty of death for trying to convert someone in Morocco. And so, and so he, his life was on the line, but, but he would do that. And he spent years, and he built up a relationship with a young man and finally got to the place. They had lots of good discussions, lots of good coffee, and finally got to the point that the young man says, I see it. I see it. Jesus is. I, Jesus is the Christ. I, I, I think you're right. Jesus is the Son of God. I think you're right. And this guy says, all right, sir, sir, are you ready to place your faith in him and, and to become a Christ follower and, and pursue him and, and let Islam go and, and move forward with Christ? And he said, no. And he's like, why? You, you, you believe that he's the only way to heaven, that Islam is getting you nowhere. You say it out of your mouth that Islam is taking you nowhere. He says, yes. He says, why would you not? He said, I've never, I've never met anybody who had been Islam. You're just born that way. You're just born Islam. You can't change it. You can't switch. You're just born that way. 
And I can't, he just could not wrap his mind around it. He's like, if I had met one person who had been born and raised in Islam and became a Christ follower, I would do it. The guy's time ends. He comes back to the States, stays in correspondence via, via email. Six months later, he gets an email. He says, <clears throat> Brother Joel, I want you to know that I am now a Christ follower. I fully place my faith in him. Just a few months ago, I met a man, and he gave his name, and he had been just where I was, and he had come to Christ. And praise God that he found someone, but praise God for that guy who did it when no one else that he know did, that he dared to do it for the first time. He dared to believe that it did. Pretty soon, there were six guys they had their own Bible study who had all come to Christ. It's just dominoed. Somebody has to stand down in the crowd. Somebody has to be willing to do something for the first time. If you're going to be a difference maker, you have to be more concerned with following the leading of God than with looking foolish. If you're more concerned with looking foolish, you will never fulfill the full purpose because you are unique. You're unique, which means you're different which means on some level you're going to look a little different than everybody else you know. And the enemy will try to come in and tell you that that's foolish. It's not. It's you. It's who God built you to be. Don't you dare let this fear of being foolish push down the gift of God that he's placed uniquely in you. We cannot dare to try to then become little carbon copy clones of what we think it means to be a believer. We have to be the person God uniquely created for you. This is one shot. You've never existed before, and you'll never exist on this mortal earth again, and you're here for a purpose, and you've got one shot to be the you God created. Let him do it in you. Dare to do it. Dare to do it. Hebrews eleven seven says, By faith Noah built a ship in the middle of dry land. He was warned about something he couldn't see and acted on what he was told. The result... His family was saved. His act of faith drew a sharp line between the evil of the unbelieving world and the righteousness of the believing world. As a result, Noah became intimate with God. And then Matthew twenty-eight twenty. This is why we can dare to be different. We can dare to do something for the first time. We can dare to be the unique, incredible creation God made us to be. As we have this promise that Jesus gave to all believers He says, be sure of this, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. He's with us. We don't do this alone. We do this in the power of his spirit. We do this with his strength. And I tell you what, there's so much amazing potential and grace and ministry just sitting right here. If we'll just dare to start where we are and to reach out and to do the things that God's put on our hearts. I'm telling you, to just create a tidal wave of change in all of our lives if we'll dare to do it. Right now, I want to create a quiet moment. I want to ask us to create a holy place right here. And, and for those who are on the outside looking in and said, Brandon, I, I always thought that this whole Christian thing was about, about just trying to be better. 
and I'm just worn out and I'm tired of that. And now I recognize that this Christian thing is about that Jesus was perfect and he died and he paid the price and I get the benefit of that. And then that Holy Spirit that comes and lives on the inside of me, he changes me and he brings about and works about newness of life and perfection. (sighs) That I want. I don't want to try to pull myself up by my own spiritual bootstraps. I want and I believe that Jesus has done it and will do it in me. If that's you, I want you to just raise your hand. You place your faith in Christ. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Yes. Yes. I just want to lend you some words. The Bible says as soon as we believe in our hearts, you've stepped over from death to life. You've believed. Now I want us to declare it. I want to lend you some words. So if you'll just use these words that I give you, make them your own. Say, Heavenly Father. I thank you for sending Jesus. I thank you for loving me when I didn't care about you. And it's based on that love that I'm made right with you. You've done the work. And I choose.